hospital overcrowding. There's no bathroom, no sink, no emergency equipment. A Victoria patient stuck in a sunroom in questionable conditions. Also tonight, a guilty plea in a high-profile assault. Why the accused won't be going to jail. And cutting off the convoy. This weekend, we took kind of an unprecedented step. A new strategy in BC's capital to keep anti-mandate traffic out. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. The family of a Victoria man is speaking out about overcrowding at Royal Jubilee Hospital after he was put in a sunroom while being treated for a serious injury. As Kylie Stanton reports, they're concerned about the lack of proper equipment, including virtually no way to call for a nurse. This is where they, they have my brother. From the eighth floor, it's a room with a view, but that's about it. There's no bathroom, no sink, no emergency equipment. This is where John Preston has been recovering since arriving at Royal Jubilee Hospital with a broken hip Saturday morning. I was in a lot of pain. I couldn't get up. He was in emergency for a bit and then transported to a room, a patient room. This is his lighting. There is nothing in there. Not even a call bell. Instead, this is what Preston has been using, or at least trying to use, when needing some help. Kept on banging, and nobody came, and I took that thing and I threw it on the floor, and still nobody came. This is what he has to use to go to the bathroom. As for the makeshift facilities being provided, they say they are simply unusable. There was not even a catch basin in there. Like, it's just, it's horrendous. According to the Ministry of Health, Royal Jubilee Hospital's 505 regular beds are at capacity. It has 94 surge beds, like Preston's, located outside the wards, in hallways, wherever there's space. Currently, 77 of those are vacant. Are you comfortable? But the siblings say it's not just the room situation that's cause for concern. They claim Preston, who's Indigenous, has experienced racial profiling. Upon intake, they say he was asked how much he had had to drink when he fell. There was no alcohol involved. On top of that, they say a drug and rehabilitation specialist was sent to do an assessment that was ultimately deemed unnecessary. This type of stereotyping, it's got to stop. And the, the, the care that the Indigenous people are receiving right now is not up to par. In a statement, Island Health said, when our sites are extremely busy, at times some patients are being cared for in temporary places, including sunrooms. We know this is not ideal and we apologize. Our goal is always to deliver high quality, culturally safe care. That's not the place for me. The family says it understands the pressure the system is under. And considering the circumstances, Preston is receiving good care. Still, they plan on filing a formal complaint and hope sharing their experience serves as a warning to others. Oh, we're in a crisis. We need help. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. A man who was caught on video pushing an Asian senior to the ground outside a Vancouver convenience store has been sentenced after pleading guilty to assault. Rumi Nadea has the details, including why the attack wasn't prosecuted as a hate crime. A disturbing crime caught on camera. 
At the start of the pandemic, March 2020, the incident makes national headlines. Our investigators have received numerous tips from the community on the racially motivated assault on the elderly Asian man. We have made significant leads and have identified a suspect. A six-foot-tall, large white man pushes a 92-year-old Asian senior with severe dementia out the door of a convenience store in East Vancouver. The victim falls to the ground and hits his head. He is not seriously injured. Fast forward two years. 51-year-old Jamie Bazanson pleads guilty to assault. Crown counsel Jim Kreider telling the court, despite CCTV video and seven eyewitness statements, five of them from children aged 12 to 15, there was not enough evidence to prove a hate crime. The BC Prosecution Service telling Global News there was no reliable evidence the incident was motivated by hate. There was evidence it was not. The judge sentences Bazanson, a longshoreman, to a conditional discharge, one-year probation and 20 hours of community service. It's what both Crown and Defence asked for. Bazanson did not appear in person, neither did his lawyer. Via video, the accused told the judge he was truly sorry that he did not intend any ill will or animosity towards anyone. He doesn't believe in discrimination. Bazanson's lawyer, Michael Bloom, made it clear that his client did not make any racial slurs or COVID-19 comments to the victim. Judge Sanu taking into account Bazanson has no criminal record. He turned himself in, he suffered public shaming, and he's been the victim of vandalism. Bazanson's tires slashed three times, his vehicle set on fire and destroyed. If Bazanson follows the rules, he will not receive a criminal record. Romina Dea, Global News. Well, today is the International Day for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination, and Canadian anti-racism and human rights groups are calling on the federal government to do more to address the problem. The group says Ottawa needs to start by acknowledging that Canada and many of its institutions were built upon Indigenous genocide, slavery and white supremacy. It says the federal government needs to establish an anti-hate strategy in coordination with provincial governments. Of course, we raised some of these issues during the election campaign last uh, August and September. We were very disappointed that uh, racism did not uh, uh, play a, a bigger role in some of the issues discussed during the election. The group says while Canada should welcome Ukrainian refugees as they flee the war with Russia, non-European refugees should be given the same support. A landmark Indigenous title case is before B.C. Supreme Court today as the new Chaplet First Nation tries to stop logging on land it claims on Vancouver Island's west coast. Members of the new Chaplet First Nation travelled to Vancouver to mark the start of the court proceedings. The lawsuit, initially launched in 2017, asserts that the B.C. and federal governments have denied new Chaplet rights by authorizing logging and effectively dispossessing the nation of parts of its territory. Western Forest Products is also named as a defendant. We are going to make changes that benefit everybody, and we're going to start respecting Mother Earth. It's not going to be about money, 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 money. Money going out of our community, money going out of our province, money going out of our country, just to benefit a few. We work towards everybody benefiting. 
This is believed to be the first Indigenous title case to go to trial since the B.C. government passed legislation to implement the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. It's expected to last eight weeks. Well, the Freedom Convoy didn't quite get the same traction in Victoria as the protest held in Ottawa. Vic PD set up controlled access points in preparation for the protest, limiting the number of vehicles that were allowed into the area. Our Richard Zussman is live at one of the checkpoints that remain. And Richard, it seemed to work. Yeah, it sure did, Sophie. This was supposed to be the day the trucks arrived from other parts of Vancouver Island, the rest of British Columbia, and the rest of Canada. But instead, when they arrived to protest COVID-19 restrictions and measures, they were met by the checkpoint and told they could not go to the legislature. It is a relief for many around the legislature in the James Bay neighborhood. Access denied. Since Saturday, traffic police have been set up here keeping trucks in downtown just to cause trouble away. We took kind of an unprecedented step where we set up this control access points. For weeks, convoy organizers have been directing trucks to Victoria from across the country. But to prevent what unfolded in Ottawa, this area covering James Bay and the legislature has been closed down for vehicles except for local traffic. That means that if someone who wants to come down and go to a restaurant or go to the library or, or watch the kid play soccer, that's perfectly fine. The police's actions forcing organizers to reconsider. We were thinking about taking uh, and convoying from Victoria to Campbell River next weekend. Protesters frustrated with COVID-19 mandates and restrictions can still protest at the legislature, but they have to enter by foot, bike or transit. One protest vehicle attempted to bypass the checkpoints and drive right through Beacon Hill Park. These skid marks are all that is left of the vehicle that didn't make it and got impounded. They originally told the officer that they were actually a James Bay resident, but that same officer has actually spoken with them a couple of different times. And they were driving a large vehicle with a snowmobile on the back, which we don't see a lot of in James Bay. Before police stepped up enforcement this weekend, there had been eight weeks of protests all including trucks and honking. At Bubby's restaurant, the protest frustration bubbling over. Terrorizing us, to me, is terrorizing us. They don't have to agree. We heard them. They came one day, that's okay, you come a second day. Local businesses relieve things are getting back to normal, and most, but not all, residents happy a bunch of trucks won't be residing alongside them. When we first arrived, we saw all those trucks and we didn't think it was very good. What happened to our right to protest? It's gone out the door. Uh, there's more freedom to be fought somewhere else. All right, Richard, how long will these checkpoints be in place, considering the protesters are heading elsewhere? Victoria says, Sophie, they will be considering this day to day. The police will. But the expectation is this could remain through this week as the uh, police watch to see if the protesters do move out of the island and whether those remaining trucks that are still here in Victoria decide to leave the capital. And I also have an update on that vehicle that was impounded. Victoria police says they have also been fined $600 and the plates have been removed from that vehicle. So it's unclear whether the driver will be able to get back behind the wheel of that vehicle and get it out of Victoria. Sophie.
All right, thanks for that, Richard Zussman in Victoria. All right, let's take a look at the latest COVID-19 numbers for BC. There are 271 people in hospital now, with 49 of those patients in intensive care. There have been eight more deaths recorded due to complications of the virus. That includes one person in their 40s. BC has 506 new confirmed cases over the past three days. And Keith Baldry joins us now with more. Those numbers are, are continuing to drop, Keith. BC mm -hmm. appears to be in a fairly good position now, but experts say we are not out of this and there are three key risks they're concerned about. Yeah, the numbers are dropping here and much across Canada, but a different story, as I reported last week, South Korea, Hong Kong, China, an explosion of COVID-19 cases in the BA2 variant. Even North England and Germany seen a rise in hospitalizations. It's not happening here, but Sally Otto out at UBC, a biologist there who does modeling of infectious diseases, does express her concern on three fronts. The three risks are, well, we open up and we open up too much already. I'm seeing a lot of people not wearing masks. The second um, risk that we face is that we're shifting the composition of the Omicron wave that we have here in British Columbia. We are now above 50% of cases are BA2. That's the more transmissible form. So it's going to, to spread like um, even more like wildfire in our communities. And the third risk that we're facing, and this is the one that really worries me, um, both for hospitalization risk and risk of severe cases and deaths, are, um, is waning. And the problem is that the boosting happened a while ago now. Most people over 70 were boosted in November or December. And over the time course of three, four months, we've, we are seeing waning. Seems like some people still haven't had their third shot yet, but will BC roll out a fourth dose to those who are the most vulnerable, Keith? Yeah, the expectation is we will. We don't know the exact date. I talked to Dr. Bonnie Henry about this uh, last week. She says her team and other public health officials across Canada are looking at what's called the sweet spot. When is the best time to administer that fourth dose to maximize a person's immunity? It will be age-based again. People over the age of 70 will be first in line to get that fourth dose, which could come as early as June. All right, we'll see what happens. Thank you, Keith. Right. BC is lowering the age threshold for people to receive free rapid COVID-19 tests. The province says anyone aged 30 and older can now go to a participating pharmacy and pick up a test kit. Each kit contains five tests, and people can pick up a new kit every 28 days. As of last week, the province says it has dispensed more than 2.3 million rapid tests through 1,300 pharmacies. In addition, the province is expecting to get more than 2.5 million more tests over the coming weeks. Well, there is a new threat to Canada's already struggling supply chain. With some warning, this could be the worst blow yet. The CP rail strike has only just begun, but there are fears the labour trouble could derail the flow of vital goods in this country and beyond. That's next on the News Hour. A Tesla taken for a joyride in Los Angeles. The trail of damage left behind and the LAPD investigation later. Also tonight, you don't have to twist their arms to get back to competing. The arm wrestling tournament making a comeback and the grandmother of eight winning big. Right now, though, with the CP rail strike set to enter a third day, the railway's customers are calling on the feds to end the work stoppage. Ted Chernecki has more on how the dispute could potentially grind the country's economy to a halt and why the labor minister is not ready to intervene just yet. 
The Canadian economy has weathered a lot in recent months, be it the pandemic, then wildfires, then flooding, preceded by one of the worst droughts on record. Yet this rail strike may be worse. This could be the most devastating thing that we've seen, and it's human caused. The war in Ukraine has geopolitical connotations that extend everywhere, especially to the world's food supply. The loss of uh, grains and oil seeds coming out of uh, Russia and, and the Ukraine because of the, uh, the war there uh, will endanger food security. Uh, around the world. So how can one rail dispute be so disruptive? With CP's recent $25 billion purchase of Kansas City Southern, its network reaches far south through prime food-growing regions of the United States, all the way into Mexico. The trains are still running south of the border, but what farmers everywhere need is here. 70% of North American potash comes out of Saskatchewan on CP rail, most heading south. Half of all fertilizers go by CP out of Alberta, again, mostly to the south. In fact, 29% of all CP's revenue involves cross-border shipping. Our international customers require quick reassurance that a spring crop will go in the ground without delays caused by supply chain interruptions. The seeding season window is narrow. And remember that drought last summer? Cattle producers couldn't stock feed and have been importing feed grains from the states. They say there's only about a one to two week supply left. It is estimated that over a thousand Super B trucks would be needed weekly to replace the volume of feed grain currently being transported by CP trains, and trucking capacity is not available. Perhaps not surprising, there are many calls for an immediate legislative return to work. Every week that it goes on could mean delays of up to four weeks on the other end as we're seeing inventory uh, amassed through the supply chain and then for the catch-up to happen. But the Labour Minister says the courts have set the bar pretty high for Ottawa to bypass a worker's right to strike, including a need for negotiations to be going nowhere. Here you have two parties that have not left the table. They are in the thick of it. Um, and, uh, and so you have to let this play out. The minister won't say how long is too long, but says as long as both sides are talking, he's willing to wait. Ted Chernecki, Global News. A Kamloops lawyer has been arrested and charged in connection with a suspicious death investigation. 54-year-old Rogelio Butch Bagabuyo is charged with one count of interfering with human remains by placing them in a plastic bin. RCMP found a deceased person inside a vehicle on Monterey Place on St. Patrick's Day. The charge relates to an alleged incident a day prior on March 16th. Police are appealing to the public to trace the movements of a white GMC rental van over the past week in and near Kamloops. Autopsy results are pending to confirm the deceased's identity and cause of death. Coming up, unhappy campers. I'm really disappointed, to be honest. BC's new booking system goes live. Why some say it's missing a key component. Plus a new municipality proposed for the BC interior how residents are reacting to the idea just ahead. Traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Patello Bridge with most of the volume on Columbia and Front Street under the bridge. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at bcaa.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge. Children cannot learn when they are hungry. Food insecurity also affects their mental health. That's why Global News and the Grocery Foundation are partnering for Toonies for Tummies and nourishing children in countless communities. Donate today to Toonies for Tummies in-store or online. 
Well, those hoping to get a camping reservation in B.C. for the May-long weekend had a chance to test out a new booking portal this morning. There had been promises the new system would be better than the old one. But as soon as it went live, thousands of people found themselves stuck in a virtual waiting room. And as Krista Dow reports, that wasn't the only disappointment. They are moments of uninterrupted bliss and serenity, a wild escape from the city. But well before you can travel here, you'll need to navigate here. You basically mouse over the campsite. BC Parks launching its newly revamped reservation website Monday morning at 7 a.m. sharp. And already 23,000 people were in the queue. By 7.30, 5,000 campsites were booked. Despite its simpler interface, what came as a surprise for many, including beta testers themselves, was how users were selected. People didn't realize it was a lottery. I suspect by having a lottery system, maybe they're just trying to create some additional friction to make it a little bit more, call it democratized or a little bit more fair to use. We think it is the, uh, the best way and the fairest way to ensure that, uh, that people can uh, get a place. The province maintains this version has better search options and better maps, as the old system was clunky and often crashed. I think it's the 23rd, I believe. Four nights yet. For Andrea Jacques and her partner, Boyan Blocka, the new lottery system means their decade-old camping tradition is now in jeopardy. The kids' favorite spot is up here because there's a big mountain kind of hill thing here that they like to climb up. The couple says it's nearly impossible to select campsites for their groups right next to one another. All of our families, all of these kids that are just roaming the campground like a posse, it's just not going to be possible anymore. We would have to be incredibly lucky to get sites even remotely close to each other. A system so rooted in luck that even this camper isn't taking any chances. We wanted the May long weekend, so we went on to the site uh, before 7 o'clock, about 10 to 7, and I ended up being 6,000 and something in a queue. The hope that the province itself takes a queue and allows for group bookings a way to bridge tradition with modernization. Krista Dow, Global News. Residents of two shoe swap communities are expected to vote next month on whether the official map of B.C. should be redrawn. The Columbia Shoe Swap Regional District has recommended that Sorrento and Blind Bay, home to just over 5,000 people, should vote on whether to incorporate and become the province's newest municipality. Incorporation would give the communities more say in their own affairs, but not everyone is on board with the idea. There's a quality of life here that... Uh... Once we get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, it's just you can't retain that, you can't get it back. I don't think incorporation will give us anything other than higher taxes. I believe that it's been a long time coming and, and I am for it. I think that we have um, a large tax base here. Um, we pay high taxes and I don't think that we get to see some of the benefits. If the provincial government approves the referendum, the vote would be scheduled for April 30th. Another community fridge is now opening the Okanagan and serving those in need through food donations. This one is set up in downtown Penticton, where community fridge organizers say a lot of people are struggling to make ends meet with inflation and the pandemic. The barrier-free outdoor space allows anyone to access fresh and non-perishable food items and personal hygiene products 24-7. The project runs on a take-what-you-need-leave-what-you-can system. Many local businesses 
donating the um, the lumber, the paint, all most of the supplies. We didn't have to buy too much at all. Community fridges are also set up in Lake Country and Kelowna. Burnaby is adding to its affordable housing inventory with the opening of a brand new building. The Paul McDonald residence has 125 new affordable homes, all of which are accessible and adaptable for people living with disabilities. The project was a partnership between the province, the Vista Society, the city of Burnaby and Thinned Properties. The building is named in honor of a longtime Burnaby City Councillor and volunteer and features a legacy wall in his honor in the lobby. Half of the units will be rented at 70% of the market rate. The other half will be rented at 90%. People need homes like these, these 125 rental units, so they aren't forced to uh, leave their community to find suitable housing. This is on transit, it's close to shopping, you don't need to have a car, uh, and they're appropriately sized suites for all different kinds of families and individuals. Next on the news hour, devastation in Ukraine. By now, the situation is catastrophic. The relentless Russian bombardment with no end in sight. Also ahead, family on the front lines, how loved ones are helping in the fight against eating disorders. Attention consumers having issues with scammers, price gougers, corner cutters, con artists, or big business bullies. Help is here. Ann Rua investigates consumer matters on Global News. After clearing some earlier problems northbound at the Massey Tunnel, traffic is actually eased off quite nicely in both directions. Keep in mind, though, there is some overnight road work on Highway 99 just south of the tunnel uh, from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. Start a career in insurance or take your insurance career to the next level by joining the growing Sussex Insurance team. Apply or learn more at sussexinsurance.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. The UN Refugee Agency now says 10 million people have fled their homes due to the war in Ukraine. The country's capital again suffering more damage as residential areas are being pounded across the country. Global's Kim Smith has the latest and a warning. Some of the images in this story are disturbing. Drone footage Monday shows the scale of the devastation in Kyiv. Residential homes and a shopping centre were hit late Sunday, killing at least eight people. Bodies could be seen laying on the pavement outside of the mall. <laughs> the mayor of Kyiv announced a reinforced curfew. Shops, pharmacies and gas stations will not open on Tuesday. In the city of Kherson in southern Ukraine, CCT footage shows hundreds of protesters approaching a city square, followed by what Ukrainian officials say is Russian gunfire. <laughs> Loud bangs heard as people are forced to run away. To the east, the city of Mariupol is one of the hardest hit and remains under siege. The Red Cross has even been shut out from delivering aid. The situation... Uh in Mariupol uh, is very difficult. We have uh, we have no access in Mariupol. This man recently fled from Mariupol to Kyiv. By now, the situation is catastrophic. All maybe 90% of uh, buildings is totally destroyed. The situation is so bad, some people are being buried in mass graves. Ukraine's defense minister had this remark from London. Russia is now committing a real act of genocide against the Ukrainian city of Mariupol. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is traveling to Europe this week. He'll be addressing the European Parliament before meeting with NATO leaders Thursday in an effort to put an end to this war now going on for nearly a month. Kim Smith, Global News. 
In Health Matters tonight, an estimated 2 million Canadians have an eating disorder, and that number has jumped by at least 30% during the pandemic. Wait times for treatment can be months. But in Alberta, a new centre is taking a different approach, where families are frontline workers. When were you thinking like, of starting up the whole new thing? With Sue Huff says when it comes to eating disorders, parents often feel blamed. There's this idea that, that this somehow has coming from your family, so clearly you did something wrong, and, uh, and so I understand what that feels like. Her daughter was diagnosed with anorexia at age 14. Now Sue is a family peer supporter at the new Alberta Wellness Centre for Eating Disorders, a facility that provides all the necessary supports in one place. If they're not getting all of those met at the same time, then people can kind of sometimes get frustrated, defeated, kind of just give up on the process. Dr. Michelle Emerling co-founded the centre after seeing a huge increase in demand for eating disorder help during the pandemic. And we're in very stressful, overwhelming situations and lots of unknowns. So when we have that kind of emotion, people often will turn to something like food unintentionally to cope. Or they can limit calories to feel more in control. The team includes psychologists, dietitians, and yoga therapists to help clients get back in touch with basic body sensations. Because a lot of times when you struggle with an eating disorder, you cut that part off. You kind of can get very caught up in your head and your body you disconnect from. Sue's role is to help teach families how to talk about feelings. She's trained in emotion processing. How do you help your loved one go through these big emotions and come out the other side rather than immediately looking for a way to escape or, you know, push down? It's the kind of lesson she wishes she'd had. During her daughter's treatment, Sue felt like she was outside looking in. Now she's on the inside, coaching families through a mental illness that's often kept secret. We need to do better as a society, and I think this is, this is part of the solution, which is why I'm so excited to be here. Still ahead, a dangerous stunt caught on camera. What police are saying about the now viral video. And later in sports, the Canucks stay the course, more or less, on trade deadline day. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Indigenous people are getting access to more training and job opportunities at Vancouver International Airport. The Musqueam Indian Band signing an agreement with AB Coast today. It's a partnership that creates training and internship opportunities at YVR and scholarships for those who want to learn about airport operations. The hope is that will lead to jobs for Musqueam members. AB Coast provides passenger services at the airport, including helping people who need to use wheelchairs and operating the baggage system. Really, really uh, dear to my heart to see this happen. The door of opportunity is being opened. The hinges are being greased so that they swing freely. We go back with the responsibility to ensure that we have the training programs, the knowledge of the post-secondary education that will need to be done, and the nurturing and following up with these students to ensure that they have success. 
Initial candidates for training have already been selected and their progress will be followed for the next 12 months. All right, time to bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon for a look at the weather forecast. I think dreary might be a good word for it. Christy? Uh, it's been a tough go, especially considering it's spring break. For all you caregivers and grandparents and parents out there, uh, I want you to stay tuned for a forecast. I do have some dry spots in the forecast uh, because so far we've really only had one dry day this spring break, so it's certainly been tough. Uh, today's the first full day of spring, and so I thought I would just have a quick look back at our winter, and then we'll talk about what spring has sprung for us. Winter recap, basically rainfall. We were below average, so fairly dry winter. This is meteorological winter uh, using the stats from YVR. Uh, snowfall, though, we were above average, and really that was because of the uh, um, snowfall that we saw during December near Christmas time. And then we were also below average in terms of temperature, again, because of those last two weeks in uh, December when it was extremely cold. Uh, December was a very odd month. Now, starting off spring with an atmospheric river, that is going to bring a very mild flow, so we're going to be well above average in terms of temperature tomorrow across southern BC. Wait till you see which area will hit 17 degrees. In the meantime, we're talking about heavy rain for the north and central coast. North coast, 100, sorry, 50 to 100 millimeters of rain expected tonight through the day tomorrow. We are just on the southern edge of it, so we are going to see rain tomorrow, but it's Wednesday that it will be much heavier. That's when the front shifts across our region. So heavy rain, we'll also see windy conditions. So the next two days, a little bit wet. That dry patch that I was telling you about, for all you with kids out there, whether you're someone organizing a camp, Thursday looks to be a good day. And then Friday, the start of it also looks good before that next system rolls in, so likely in the afternoon hours on Friday. Again, stay tuned. That's still a couple of days away. In the meantime, some nice breaks of blue sky and through the Okanagan Valley. That's where we're talking about 17 degrees in Kelowna, 18 and through Kamloops. South Coast, though, we are going to see periods of rain, mainly through the morning, easing in the afternoon, but nonetheless unsettled throughout the day. Mild, though, at 13, Wednesday looking wet, and then it looks like we've got Thursday dry, Friday morning dry. So that's that uh, bright patch that I was telling you about. Tonight's central window was weather window comes to you from Vernon. This is interesting. This is uh, showing all the snow that they've had in the Okanagan lately. This is the moon set, and uh, this is also the White Rock Lake uh, fire location where you can see the burn scars there. Very interesting picture, so thank you so much to Wilfred for that, for that one. Yeah, quite a Quite a picture. Thank you, Christy. Los Angeles police are taking the rare step of offering a reward in the hopes it'll help lead to a driver who tried to pull off a dangerous stunt in a rented Tesla. The video, which has gone viral, was taken early Sunday morning. It shows the Tesla Model S soaring over the crest of a steep hill before nosediving and crashing into two parked cars and trash bins. Police say the driver took off, abandoning the vehicle at the scene. Detectives will be following up with the renter. A $1,000 reward is now being offered. People who live in that neighborhood say that hill is a popular jump for drivers. Why do people always abuse rental cars? But yes, to no that matter what degree. They are. <laughs> okay. That's true. You leave your trash in there and yeah, I know, but that's maybe going a little too far. Well, yes, I would think so, but also you're it's a nice car. Why would you anyway? Why would you do that? I know. People do the strangest things.
The guy who, um, who, you know, there were two cars that were parked that were damaged as well. One of the guys has started to go fund me to repair the damage to his car. Is he out of insurance? Uh, and a struggling musician, I think. I see. Okay. Mm -hmm. A lot of those in L.A. All right, what do you have? Okay, so today was trade deadline day, and the Canucks, we didn't expect big things from the Canucks, but you never know. What we expected was what happened. Not a lot of big stuff. One trade for Vancouver, Tyler Mott is on his way to New York to play with the Rangers, so he will be on a playoff team this year. All right, we'll talk about that coming up. Still to come, flexing some muscle at a big arm wrestling competition after a COVID hiatus. No drama on deadline day, Squire? No Not major really. drama? Nothing heavy. You know what? Usually on deadline day, there isn't a lot of drama. Sometimes there's a big trade, but not usually. All the big trades now are made before mm -hmm. deadline day. I mean, why make it at the deadline? Why not get a new player in earlier? Makes sense. The Vancouver Canucks have decided that all the serious player personnel decisions can wait until this season is over, which... Makes sense. Why make a panic move just because today was trading deadline day? Vancouver did make one deal, though. They sent Tyler Mott. I'm kind of sorry to see Tyler Mott go to the Rangers for a fourth-round draft pick in 2023. Doesn't sound like much, but to the Canucks, they thought, well, it's better than nothing. Tyler Mott is an unrestricted free agent at the end of this season. So for the Canucks, it was either trade him or sign him. And apparently the signing part wasn't going to happen. Tyler is a good uh, player, uh, uh, but uh, at this point we felt uh, we couldn't uh, come to an agreement there. We, we were able to, to get some return there in the fourth-round pick. A fourth-round pick does seem like a cheap price to pay for the New York Rangers, considering the Canucks gave up Thomas Vanek to get Tyler Mott four years ago, and Mott is currently having his best-ever season in the NHL. Uh, for myself talking to, to a lot of teams and, and kind of feeling out, you know, um, the whole process here of feeling out uh, what, what other teams are, are uh, thinking about the players and or, or group here. And uh, um, that's where, where he ended up with a, a fourth-round pick there for Tyler. But the Tyler Mott trade, like the one the Canucks made yesterday to get Travis Dermott from Toronto, is not the main focus of management. The big issues for them are what to do with the likes of J.T. Miller and Brock Besser this summer. Besser will be a restricted free agent. I've been talking to his agent, and uh, uh, we haven't made any progress here. So with only three trades made between Sunday and Monday, the Canucks will go the rest of this season with pretty much the group they've had all year. The deadline was not for anything big. Or vision and, and or... or uh, uh, goal is is more than just uh the next couple of weeks i think we you know as we said we want to create some cap space we want to get younger um and i think we accomplished that here uh this would just uh continue to put us in a better situation for the summer doesn't look like the canucks will have nils hoaglander on their upcoming road trip which starts wednesday in colorado he's been out the past three games with a lower body injury which appears to be a groin injury the Canucks did pick up forward Brad Richardson on waivers. He, of course, used to be a Vancouver Canuck for a couple of seasons. Uh, most recently, he was with the Calgary Flames. He's played for six different teams in his career. 
He's versatile. He's a veteran. He'll always give you 100%. He can fill in on the fourth line. Well, it was a rather subdued deadline day. The biggest name traded, I would have to say, is goaltender Marc-Andre Fleury, who went from Chicago to Minnesota. The Oilers got defense and Brett Kulak from Montreal. He's actually a good pickup. The Oilers didn't get a new goalie, though. The Habs also sent forward Arturi Lekanen to Colorado, also a good pickup for the Avalanche. Anaheim sent Ricard Raquel to Pittsburgh. Most of the trades were players for draft picks. Winnipeg sent forward Andrew Kopp to the Rangers. So a few eye raisers, but nothing earth shattering. And here is Marc-Andre Fleury already in Minnesota in the backup role tonight against Vegas. And the Canucks, who are four points behind Vegas for a wild card spot, would love to see Minnesota win this game. And Nicholas Delorier has the only goal so far. That came in the first and after two. Minnesota still has a 1-0 lead. Actually, you know what? The biggest trade of the day was in the NFL. The Atlanta Falcons sent quarterback Matt Ryan to Indianapolis for a third-round pick. He had been with Atlanta for 14 years. Ryan is the best quarterback that franchise has ever had. He'll be 37 years old in May, but the NFL has a number of starting quarterbacks in their mid to late 30s, and, of course, Tom Brady's in his early 40s. The Falcons also signed quarterback Marcus Mariota to replace Ryan. Women's World Curling Championships are going on up in Prince George. This is Canada against Denmark today. Canada's down 3-2 in the sixth end, but they've got the hammer, and they're going to get three here. So Canada has the lead once again, and then they'll extend the lead in the next end because they're going to steal two on Denmark. So with this win... Canada improves its record to 3-2. and two. Canada's next game will be against Japan, which is yet to lose at this event. And for the first time since 1994, Phil Mickelson will not be playing the Masters Golf Tournament. He's been rather incognito since comments about a rival golf tour sparked outrage and controversy. He has won the Masters three times in his career. There you go. All right, thank you, Squire. The art of arm wrestling and how it's not all about brute strength next oh the past couple of years but now with the pandemic transitioning to endemic pullers are once again flexing their muscles we're talking about arm wrestling and competitors from across western canada gathered in southern alberta over the weekend pinning their hopes on scoring a trophy global's jacqueline Cousy has a look after a two-year break due to the COVID pandemic, interprovincial competitive arm wrestling made its return to the Rocky Mountain Turf Club in Lethbridge. Teams of all ages from Alberta, BC and Saskatchewan competed in a round-robin tournament, pinning opponents in hopes of collecting the most points and winning the team trophy. Head referee Stu Foster from Airdrie has been arm wrestling since 1980 and is considered the longest serving competitor or puller in Alberta history. He won in a special super match on Saturday against a longtime friend and fellow veteran of the sport. It goes to show some of these younger guys that when you get to be our age, we still got some fire in the chimney. On the surface, this is one fierce competition, but longtime pullers say it's the community that keeps bringing them back to the sport. This arm wrestling family is second to none. Stu now trains and coaches his champion wife Stacy, who started arm wrestling in 2015 after retiring from bodybuilding. After 10 months, I went to my first nationals and I came home with a gold, two silvers and a bronze. And I've stuck with it since. The grandmother of eight is a five-time Canadian Masters champion for both left and right arm. 
Lethbridge Arm Wrestling Club member Ethwin Penton got into the sport to continue his passion of strength training. It's not just how strong your arm is, uh, there's so much little technique that goes into it. He's excited to be back competing. It's amazing, I mean, you know, COVID kind of put a halt to everything. I mean, you couldn't go in gyms half the time and, you know, you're stuck at home. Uh, thankfully, with arm wrestling, you can kind of train a little bit at home, but it's just not the same. You know, you don't get to, to pull the people you like to pull. You don't get to see all your friends and all that. He hopes to qualify for provincials in Grand Prairie this spring and to see some new faces at future competitions. If you're interested in the sport, come out. doesn't hurt to pull just once and see if you like it. Jacqueline Cousy, Global News. Who do you think would win in an arm wrestling competition between the NewsHour team? <laughs> wow. Me? Wow. Confident. That's pretty confident, Gordo. Totally. Even if Chris was here? <laughs> yeah, I'd put I... my money on Christy. <laughs> you got technique. Thanks, Sophie. I appreciate that. Good. <laughs> All right. Uh, last word on weather before we go, Christy. Sure. So we are still seeing light rain. We're going to continue to into tomorrow morning. It's not a soaker, but nonetheless enough that it's tougher to get the kids outside. Tomorrow afternoon, later in the day, should be a bit drier, but Wednesday's looking wet once again. At least tomorrow will be mild with highs of about 13 or 14, and the interior up to 18. Did you notice how self-aware it was? I did not put my hand up that I would win. <laughs> it's better that way, but I definitely have put your money on Gordo. Have a good night, everyone.